Good morning. It is great to see you this morning. Today we have a special guest. This is Dr. Abraham Cravella. He is a professor over at Dallas Theological. And uh, in the bulletin, you'll notice uh, all of his credentials. I don't necessarily need to read them off, but uh, he is a man who is, is very passionate. When I got to, uh, to visit with him and spend some time with him, one of the things that I thoroughly enjoyed was hearing his heart and passion for the Word of God. He is currently writing several commentaries on several different books of the Bible, and his goal is, is one of his passions was that he wanted to try to get the entire Bible written in a commentary series, and he said, I don't know if I can get it done by the end of my life. And what an incredible passion to want to study God's Word, and I am thrilled that we have a chance today to hear from this man of God. And so would you welcome with me Dr. Abraham Carvella. Good morning. It's a delight to be here with you all here at Oaks, and I'd like to thank Heath and the leadership of the church for the opportunity to minister God's Word to you all this morning. I'm a little disappointed that the rapture didn't happen last night. Uh, (laughs) Being with Christ is always better than being anywhere else, isn't it? But uh, the good news is that He is with us, and He is coming soon. Praise God for that. What I'd like to do this morning is to deal with a rather familiar story from Genesis 39 and 41. If your eyes are good, you can follow along with the uh, outline that's in the bulletin, but otherwise, if you'd open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, and before we look into the Word, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Our Father, we are thankful that your promises hold good that you promised to send your son for us once and he did come. You have promised to send him again and he will come. But until that time as we are drawn to him, we realize that these days here on earth are filled with tumult and tribulation. As we look into the life of your servant Joseph this morning, we ask for your Holy Spirit's illumination of our hearts that we might learn what it is to live through difficult times and trials. Strengthen us for these days ahead, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This supposedly happened in Florida. A guy was working on his uh, motorcycle in his patio and trying to rev the engine and get it just right when it accidentally slipped into gear and before he knew what was happening, it went right through the patio window, dragging him along into the dining room. (laughs) Hearing the loud noises, his wife comes out running to see the husband on the floor, glass and blood all over him. Room was wrecked, tables and chairs strewn all over, motorcycle parts, gasoline everywhere. She called 911. The couple lived on a hill, and uh, so the wife ran down the hill to, to flag the ambulance as it came up. The EMTs went up the steps, cleaned up the guy, took him into the ambulance. They assured the lady that it didn't look like he had broken anything. He just needed a bunch of stitches, so she stayed at home. Feeling dejected, she did what uh, women are good at, cleaning up the messes that their husbands make. She swept up stuff. The gasoline on the floor, she sopped onto some bounty towels and for some reason threw those smelly towels into the bathroom commode and she continued her cleaning operations. Now the guy was ready to come home in a few hours. His parents picked him up, brought him home. 
He entered the house and saw the disaster that he had created with his own stupidity. He felt terrible. He had messed up his bike, the dining room, the carpet. He felt so despondent, he walked to the bathroom, sat on the toilet, and lit a cigarette. (laughs) And after he was done, he casually flicked the still-lit butt into the bowl, and whoosh! Flames everywhere. The wife comes running to see his clothes on fire. Severe burns on parts of his anatomy we won't go into. She calls 911 again. The same crew shows up. (laughs) They couldn't believe it. They went up the steps, gathered the charred guy, started down the steps, and as they were going down, one of the the EMTs asked the wife, how did this happen? And she explained. The guy carrying the front end of the gurney started laughing so hard, he dropped his hand, and our burnt friend tumbled down out of the gurney, down the steps, and broke his ankle. (laughs) Have you had days like that? (laughs) But seriously, how do you survive days like this? Or maybe it's not just days. Maybe for some of you it's been years, decades, whole seasons, problems at home, at work, in school, in church. How will you keep going through those dark days? This morning from, the, from a part of the story of Joseph, Genesis 39, we're going to see how he was blessed and why he was blessed in the midst of his dark and bleak days. And we'll learn how God wants us to make it through our dark and bleak days, our tough times, how to prosper under God. So Genesis 39, you know the story. Joseph was his father's favorite, preferred over his siblings. That wasn't bad enough. He had a couple of dreams that showed him ruling over his family. So this dude was not popular with his brothers, to say the least. And they decided to wipe him out. At the last minute, realizing that a warm body is worth more than a cold corpse, they sell him off to some traveling merchants, and Joseph ends up in Egypt a slave. 17 years old, a slave, far from home, far from familiar surroundings, enslaved for no fault of his own, crushed and extinguished. But look at this, Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. At the most depressing time of his life, Joseph is blessed by God. And verse 3. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper under his hand. This was clearly a blessed man. In one of the worst periods of his life, this man is being blessed by God. God's just pouring it on. And here's four and five. Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about at that time he made him an overseer in his house and over all that he owned the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph and the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field more blessings God is just letting it overflow this 17 year old's bad times are over hurrah wrong verse 6 now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance 
as those profound philosophers, the Beatles, the sages of our time once proclaimed, well, he was 17. You know what I mean. And the way he looked was way beyond compare. That's about as close to the Bible as the Beatles ever got. (laughs) The Egyptian's wife takes a liking to this young man. He refuses to be seduced. She screams rape. The poor guy gets thrown in jail. Not a good day. Just when we figured he had made it through those tough times, just when when we thought he was going to move up that corporate ladder in Egypt, wham, he's hit again. He was a slave before, and now he is an imprisoned slave, incarcerated, falsely accused, condemned, no hearing, no trial, no judge, no appeal, hopeless. He is going nowhere now, stuck in jail, lost and forgotten. Except for one thing, Genesis 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. What? Blessed again? This guy was in the pits. You cannot fall any lower. And Moses tells us God's blessing Joseph again. Verse 23. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Did you notice the similarity of the wording between these first and last sections of Genesis 39? It's striking. God is with Joseph in slavery. God is with Joseph in jail. God prospers him in slavery. God prospers him in jail. God lets the guy find favor with the slave owner. God lets the guy find favor with the jail officer. Joseph is left in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. Joseph is left in charge of everything in the jail. He is blessed through and through, left and right, blessed in slavery, blessed in jail, blessed enslaved, blessed imprisoned, subjugated in slavery. God blesses him. Shoved into jail, God blesses him there too. The certainty of blessing. The certainty of blessing. And another interesting thing about this narrative. In the entire story of Joseph, in the whole story of Joseph, God's covenant name, Yahweh, is only found in this chapter. Nowhere else but in this chapter, eight times at two distinct clusters in this chapter. If you look at my handout, I have circled them for you. Guess where Yahweh shows up? At either end in verses 2, 3, and 5, and then at the other end, 21, and twice in 23. At either end of the chapter when Joseph has been slapped around and scourged and stomped upon, it's Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh all over. And where Yahweh is, there is blessing. Enslaved, God's blessings cover Joseph. Imprisoned, God's blessings cocoon him. God's blessings are certain despite the direness of the situation. No matter where Joseph was, in slavery or in prison, God's blessings were certain, assured, guaranteed. There is no pit so deep that God's blessings cannot penetrate. There is no night so dark that God's blessings cannot enlighten. There is no situation that is so bankrupt that God's blessings cannot and grace. So how do we get to experience God's blessings as Joseph did? Trials are certain in life. No question. 
Troubles will catch up with you. That's indisputable. Expecting the world to treat you fairly because you're a good person is like expecting the bull not to charge because you're a vegetarian. (laughs) Does not happen. It is going to catch up with us. There is no question. So what can we do to ensure God's blessings to us even in the times of trial? Why did God do this for this man, Joseph? How come God blessed him in such a lavish fashion? God's blessings, remember, are concentrated at either end of Genesis 39 in the most calamitous of his circumstances. And the way that Moses is telling this story, he's clearly making a point. The reason for Joseph's blessing, the condition for his prospering under God is found in the middle of Genesis 39, sandwiched between these affirmations of God's blessings. The center of the chapter explains God's blessings upon Joseph at either end of Genesis 39. And so let me read that section. Genesis 39, 7 through nine. You know the story. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? This is nothing but an absolute commitment to God. And there it is, the condition for blessing, commitment to God. How could Joseph be so committed? Wasn't this the God that had allowed him to be thrown into a pit, left for dead, sold to slave traders? Had he forgotten? Wasn't this the God who had put him in Potiphar's house and allowed that compromising situation to happen? Had he forgotten? For that matter, wasn't it this? Wasn't this the God that had made him handsome, an attractive target for a scheming woman? Had he forgotten? Did he not comprehend the hopelessness of his situation? Didn't he realize that this lady's attraction to him was a golden opportunity to move ahead in life? Think of the connections. Maybe some blackmail. And with some finesse, hey, he could rise high up in the ranks. One must move ahead at all costs, right? Anything to get ahead. Didn't he know that? Wasn't he concerned about his future? Most people would call Joseph a fool for not recognizing such a potentially invaluable break. Not Joseph. This man had forgotten his disasters. He wasn't thinking of his brother's treachery or his deplorable captivity or the horrible mess that he had been manipulated into. He had forgotten all that. He wasn't brooding about what might have happened. He he had forgotten his injustices. He wasn't moping over what might have been. He had forgotten the past. And in a sense, this fool had forgotten his future as well. He wasn't strategizing a move up the corporate ladder. He wasn't scheming to get ahead by seducing or manipulating someone. He wasn't interested in parlaying his attractive 
attractiveness into a position in the court. He, was, he had absolutely no political eye for his career. In other words, he had forgotten his past and he had forgotten his future. He was simply concerned with the present and all he wanted to do in the present was remain committed to God in fruitful obedience. Verse 9, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? His focus was singular, concentrated, one track, being fruitful now. Forgetful of the past, forgetful of the future, Joseph was intent on remaining fruitful in the present to produce the fruit of obedience, committed to God's standards, committed to God's rule, committed to God's reputation. So there it is, the commitment towards blessing. How can we experience the blessings of God irrespective of the situation? Let me give it to you in two phrases. Be forgetful, be fruitful. Be forgetful and be fruitful. The truth of Genesis 39 is that God's blessings are assured to the believer even in the pits of life if we are forgetful of the past, forgetful of the future, and if we remain fruitful in obedient commitment to God in the present. Years later, Joseph is exalted to the prime ministership of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. And he begins life anew. He marries and has two children. And look at the names he gives his two children. Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. They confirm for us how Joseph was assured of his blessings. Genesis 41 verse 51. 41, 51. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. God has made me forget. Be forgetful. Thirteen years Joseph spent in slavery and jail forgotten. Over a decade of oppression forgotten. Ten plus years of maltreatment and persecution. Manasseh forgotten. Forgotten the resentment and grief over the past. Forgotten those feelings of anger and frustration and vengeance and revenge. For you see, those things won't take us anywhere. The other day, Guy Boos, a guy who lives in Chippewa, Wisconsin, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, got frustrated with his washing machine. It ticked him off big time, so he pushed it down a flight of stairs, stood it against a wall in his neighbor's garage, took a gun, and blasted the living suds out of his washing machine. <laughs> Take that, you stupid machine, and that. I'll, I'll, I'll fix you for agitating me and not my clothes. He blew away his uh, washer last September, but it's taken until now for the case to come up through the Justice Department's wash, rinse, and spin cycles. <laughs> a, judge, a judge in Chippewa County spared Mr. Booth from any jail time, put him on probation for two years, ordering him not to possess any firearms or consume alcohol. There's no, there was no mention of any unsupervised contact with household gadgets, but... Uh, <laughs> I, while I don't like people assassinating their appliances in my neighborhood, I kind of like his style. He did what most of us have fantasized about, settling a score with a misbehaving machine. 
He took troubleshooting to a new level. But in the big picture of life, this kind of obsession and frustration with the past won't get us anywhere. It will not put us in a position to experience God's blessings. Instead, we must be forgetful, trusting God to handle it all. Forget the past, forget the future, because like Joseph, we trust God's timetable, not our own. Because we trust God's sovereignty, instead of wallowing in our own helplessness, we are focusing on the present. Forgetting the past, forgetting the future. There may be some here whose sufferings have overtaken Joseph's 13 years. Oppression. Mistakes, regrets, our own follies, constantly haunting us. But because God is faithful, we can forget the dread of the past and the uncertainty of the future. Because he loves, we can forget the horrors of yesterday and the dimness of tomorrow. Be forgetful. Forget how things have been in the past. Forget how things are going to be in the future. Our call instead is to live in the present. And notice the name of Joseph's second son, Genesis 41, verse 52. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me fruitful. Be fruitful. No matter where he was and how adverse his circumstances, Joseph chose to remain fruitful. And we too are called to be fruitful here and now, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances. Be fruitful by living a life of obedience and commitment that glorifies God, that bears the fruit of obedience even in the land of our affliction. Being fruitful in the present is at the very least a call to integrity, an imperative to be Christ-like, like Joseph. A recent survey by Reader's Digest revealed that 63% of us have called in sick at work when not ill. Another 60% had taken office supplies from work for personal use. 40% have illegally downloaded music from the web. 70% have knowingly broken the speed limit. 30% have lied to a spouse about a relationship to another. 70% of college students have engaged in some form of academic cheating. And in the last 12 months, one in three people have either watched an X-rated movie, visited a club with scantily clad dancers, or purchased sexually explicit materials. One in three. Lack of integrity. Unfruitfulness. Instead, let integrity be the hallmark of our fruitfulness in the present. I don't know what sin you are toying with or what sin lingers in your life. I know mine. Let it go. If you need help with trusted friends, pastors, deacons, elders, find it, please. Be fruitful. That's our call. Live a life of obedience and commitment and integrity now. So how can we experience the blessings of God irrespective of situation? Be forgetful, be fruitful. And you can be assured that God's blessings 
despite the situation, even in the midst of trials, will be upon you. Now, I don't know what those blessings will look like in the midst of your dark days. Perhaps it will be the finding of favor like Joseph did with his persecutors. Perhaps it will be the blessings of productivity as Joseph enjoyed. Perhaps it will be the blessings of incredible inner peace and joy even through your trials and tribulations. In the summer of 1851, the lifeless body of English missionary Alan Gardiner was found by a search party in his boat in which he had taken refuge during his last days. You see, he and his companions had been shipwrecked off the Tierra del Fuego island off the coast of South America, and eventually their remaining provisions ran out and death came slowly but inevitably to each of them. We know some of the thoughts of Alan Gardner during those days from letters that he left for his family and from entries in his personal journal, which was found right next to his lifeless body. He was at one stage, he writes, desperate for water. His pangs of thirst were almost intolerable. Far from home, far from loved ones, he died alone, isolated, weakened, physically broken. Hardly what we might call the end of a victorious Christian life. Despite the wretched conditions in which he died, he seems to have experienced in some strange way a new and deeper sense of the goodness of God. In his weakness, he managed to pen one last entry in his feeble handwriting into his journal, and it was this. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with a sense of of the goodness of God. That may be the way your blessings will happen. The goodness of God tangibly felt even through those dark days. Remember, he didn't take Joseph away until a long time later from the dire situation. He may not take us away, but he will bless you to be able to go through it. And no matter what shape or form they take, God's blessings are certain if we are forgetful and fruitful. Be forgetful of the past and the future. Be fruitful in the present now and prosper under God. Enjoy God's blessings in abundance. Of course, the greatest blessing that you can ever get is, is the first one that most of us get is salvation in Jesus Christ. As you place your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become a child of God in that instant and have eternal life. But even after your salvation, God continues to bless, especially if we are forgetful of the past, forgetful of the future, fruitful in the present. I'm going to get you to do something concrete to remind you to be forgetful and fruitful. Would you do that with me? If you're wearing a wristwatch, would you take it off? Put it in your pocket or purse for the rest of the day. The rest of the day. Now, I don't want you to be late for your appointments. You're allowed to look at it or your phone. Just putting it in your pocket is a token, a jog to your memory that we need to forget our timetables, a symbol of our trust in God's timetable. So let's put our watches away for the rest of the day. God's, this, this watch fast is a concrete reminder that God's timetable is different from ours. Let that be a marker of the fact that even though we're going through tough times, I'm going to forget the past and the future. I'm going to live in the present, concentrating on being fruitful and being obedient and committed to God in the present. 
And that's the way to obtaining the certainty of God's blessings even in our dark days. That's the way of triumphing in trials. Be forgetful of time, what happened in the past and how it'll turn out in the future, but be fruitful in time, living lives of obedience now, lives that glorify God in the present. Be forgetful, be fruitful, and go on a watch fast. Thank you. 